If you love the History Extra podcast and want to help us keep bringing you brilliant episodes, then please share it with a friend or a fellow history fan who you think might enjoy it. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to a special edition of BBC History Magazine's regular podcast. Uh, And this time it's our Christmas History Pub Quiz. I'm Dave Musgrove, the magazine's editor, and I'm here with our quiz master, Justin Pollard. Hi, Justin. Hiya. Now, I suspect that some of you might be listening to this in a post-Christmas dinner fug with the last of the summer wine on in the background. So Justin and I are going to attempt to drag you out of your torpor with seven rounds of historical questions. Each round of six questions is themed around a subject and we'll give you the answers at the end of each round. So there's no surprise, this is just for fun. Before we kick off, though, Justin, can you tell me a little bit about the book that you've written that prompted me to invite you along to be our quiz master? Well, it's called uh, The Interesting Bits, The History You Might Have Missed, and it's uh, a collection of 200 of those stories that sort of fell down the back of the great sofa of history, the ones that don't really fit in, that don't belong in any grand narrative, but I think are worth reviving. So I've revived them, and here they are. Brilliant, and that's what we're basing this, this quiz on. It's these moments in history that you probably won't have heard of. Well, you might have heard of them, we'll see. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, we'll get on into the quiz. First round is entitled Ouch. So over to you, Justin. Okay, here we go. They're all multiple choice. Question one. Hannah Twinoy was sitting in a pub in Malmesbury in 1703 when she became the first person in Britain to be, was it A, arrested for income tax evasion, B, poisoned with cyanide, or C, eaten by a tiger? Now, regular readers of the magazine might remember that uh, the answer to that question from our recent Mysterious Memorials competition, so have a look back in the mag if you don't know that one. Excellent. Easy one to start with then. Okay, let's ramp it up a bit. Number two. Why did the Earl of Oxford leave Elizabeth I's court for seven years? Was it A, because he was suspected of treason, B, because he accidentally farted in her company and was embarrassed, or C, because he was off in search of the Holy Grail? Question three. What happened to the handwritten draft of Thomas Carlyle's huge tome, The French Revolution? Did he A, drop it in a puddle, B, Give it to a friend who used it to light a fire, or C, leave it in a cab. Question four. How did Viscount Castlereagh die? Was he A, shot in a duel? B, did he stab himself to death with a letter opener? Or C, did he fall off his pet elephant? Question five. What did the Empress Irene, Ivan the Terrible, Suleiman the Magnificent, and Constantine the Great all have in common? Was it A, they all murdered their heir, B, they all suffered from asthma, or C, they all loved juggling? I'm hoping it's juggling. (laughs) And question six, the last one in this round. What were UK soldiers heading for the Western Front in World War I advised to leave at home? Was it A, their servants, B, their dinner jackets, or C, their teeth? Right, now that's the end of the first round. Then we'll give you a moment to scribble down your answers. And now Justin is going to give us the answers to those first six questions. So question one, Hannah Twinoy. 
Okay. What, what happened to her? She was sitting in a pub, minding her own business, just after the fair had finished, which is the clue. And it was C. She was eaten by a tiger, burst into the pub, having escaped from the fair, and ate her. Not the sort of thing you expect to happen in Malmesbury in 1703. No, it's unusual for Malmesbury, even today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, question two. The Earl of Oxford, why did he leave Elizabeth's court for seven years? Ah, the poor old Earl of Oxford. He was a shy sort of a man, really, and uh, he did attempt to bow particularly low one day to the Queen, and in the process did break wind rather loudly. And so he actually left court for seven years. Uh, he was so sort of embarrassed by it all. Yeah, that's, that is pretty embarrassed, isn't it? That is. You can't really be much more embarrassed than that. <laughs> and the uh, dear old Queen Elizabeth, who had a great sense of humour, when he eventually came back after seven years, he came in and he bowed before her and she looked at him and said, My Lord, I had forgot the fart. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Do we have any other <laughs> records of flatulence in Elizabethan court? <laughs> I think there was a lot of it about, actually, having seen some of the... Uh, <laughs> some very, of the bad of, diet, of, I imagine. Of, yeah, the <laughs> diet at court. <laughs> Right, okay, on to question three. What happened to the handwritten draft of Thomas Carlyle's The French Revolution? Ah, that was B. A friend used it to light a fire. This was dear old John Stuart Mill, close friend of Carlyle's, was asked if he'd read the manuscript, of course, all written out by hand at this date, Mm -hmm. took it home, left it in the kitchen, because he was a bit absent-minded, and the kitchen maid used it to light the fire. He was mortified. (laughs) That's Quite a mistake, isn't it? It, it, it? It's a bad one, actually. And, of course, Thomas Carlyle had to write the whole thing out by hand again. I can't imagine he was terribly happy about that. He was. Well, John Stuart Mill did offer him some money, but he refused to take it. But he didn't give him the second draft to read. <laughs> <laughs> right, number four. Castlereagh. What happened to Castlereagh? Oh, poor old Viscount Castlereagh. He was, this is answer B, he stabbed himself to death with a letter opener. He'd become increasingly paranoid towards the end of his life and had retired to his uh, house... His staff had been getting very frightened about what he was going to do. They'd removed the razors, they'd removed the cutlery. What they forgot was the letter opener, and he stabbed himself in the throat with it. That's a, that's a, a, a tragic end, really. Mm-hmm. Number five. I hope you're going to tell me that the Empress Irene, Ivan the Terrible, Suleiman the Magnificent and Constantine the Great, they all love juggling. Uh, well, if they did, it's unknown to history, put it that way. Uh, they all murdered their heirs. Oh. Irene blinded her son when he tried to take the Byzantine throne from her and later died from the wounds. Ivan killed his son during an argument about his first wife's clothing. Suleiman executed his son on false information from his wife. And Constantine killed his eldest son after a claim by his wife that his son had tried to rape her. That's a, that's a pretty nefarious quartet then, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm. pretty nasty. Mm, OK. Finally, the, on this round, number six, what was it that UK soldiers heading off to the Western Front in World War I, what were they advised to leave at home? That C, their teeth. Uh, when the British Expeditionary Force set out for France, they didn't have a single dentist with them. And it was only when Sir John French got toothache that everyone thought, ooh, perhaps we ought to get some dentists. So uh, you were advised to have your teeth out before you went to avoid any problems. You also then got a, a stay of execution, as it were, as so you were allowed to stay at home until your gums had healed before being sent to the front. <laughs> Right, well, there we are. Okay, before we move on to round two, uh, to get ourselves even further into the festive spirit, we're going to open our first cracker. Let's pull a cracker. Now, these these aren't luxury crackers, so I don't think we can expect too much, but off we go. There we go, look at that. Now, Justin, let's let's see what we've got. Oh, look at that. There's a a tiny, tiny roll of sellotape and a hat. A hat. I might have to put that on, actually. There we go. And it's some very good sellotape, which should come in handy. Where's the joke? Where's Where the joke? The Where's the joke? Here joke. we go. Here we go. What do you get if you cross a stereo with a refrigerator? Uh, 
cold noise. I can't. It doesn't uh, look very you're funny. Close. It's cool music. Uh, <laughs> my oh, hell, we oh, laughed. <laughs> There'll be more of those crackers coming up after the next round. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Right, we'll move on to round two, which is uh, which we're calling surprise, surprise. So, Quizmaster, off you go. Here we go. Question one: Who was Miss Canary Islands in 1936? Was it A. Carmen Miranda, B. Jennifer Lopez, or C. General Franco. Right. Well, there's some obvious answers there, but we'll see. Number two. Question two. What surprise present did Mr. Chubb buy his wife in 1915? Was it A. London Bridge, B. Stonehenge, or C. The Isle of Wight? Question three. What did Francis I of France hang in his bathroom? Was it A. The world's first bathrobe, B. The Mona Lisa, or C, his brother. Okay. Question four. Question four. Question four. What did Sir Walter Raleigh's wife, Bess, carry around in a bag after her husband's execution? Was it A, his head, B, his earring, or C, his socks? Question five. Which island did Anthony Van Diemen discover? Was it Tasmania? Was it New Zealand? Or C, was it Ceylon? Is that going to be a trick question, I wonder? Uh, could be, could be. And finally, question six. How long did the gunfight at the OK Corral last? Was it A, two days, B, three hours, or C, 30 seconds? OK, so that concludes the questions on round two. Uh, and now we'll go back and get the answers. So I hope you've scribbled down your answers on your pads. Um, so let's let's answer the first question. Who was Miss Canary Islands 1936? Uh, it was the very lovely General Franco. That's literally unbelievable. He'd been, uh, he'd been sent to the Canary Islands... Uh, to keep him out of the way just before the nationalist revolution kicked off yep. uh, but was in touch with the nationalists uh-huh. um, however as they were sort of putting the last pieces in place to actually start their revolution he got all sort of coy on them and kept refusing to actually commit whether or not he was going to stand with them or not right. so he was so coy they uh, christened him Miss Canary Islands 1936 <laughs> he did of course get his own back on them though afterwards <laughs> so there we have it General Franco was Miss Canary Islands 1936 that I suspect is one that not many people know uh number two what uh, what did uh, mr chubb buy his wife in 1915 what which which uh, historic monument uh, from uh, england's past did he did he go for well you know it's always good to buy a large rock and uh, he certainly did that he bought stonehenge for her at an auction in salisbury right he didn't intend to buy it he said when he went in but he saw it that down lot 16 stonehenge so uh, he thought oh why not i'll buy it for my wife so he did <laughs> right <laughs> but he didn't decide to move it anywhere no, no, he decided, and eventually his wife gave it to the nation, actually, which seems a bit ungrateful, really. Yeah, but that's 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 a lovely <laughs> present, and she gave it away. Anyway, I think we should probably thank her for it in the end. Number three, what did Francis I of France hang in his bathroom? Uh, well, that was B, the Mona Lisa. He had a very extensive collection of paintings, and at the time, the Mona Lisa wasn't really considered a particularly great work. Mm. He'd only really sort of almost inherited it when he got uh, Leonardo to come over to paint for him, mm-hmm. and Leonardo came with this painting, which, for some reason, we don't know, he hadn't given to whoever it was commissioned by. Yeah. 
So it was in the bathroom originally. <laughs> It'd be odd to have those eyes following you around the bathroom. Uh, right? It would, wouldn't it? I mean, well, Napoleon upgraded it and put it in his bedroom. <laughs> but it started off as just a bathroom picture. <laughs> right. OK, we're going to get a bit gory here, aren't we? What, mm. what did Sir Walter Raleigh's wife Bess carry around in her bag after her husband's execution? It was his head she carried around for the rest of her life. And in fact, his head was only eventually buried in his son's grave. It was quite usual at the time, after an execution, to have the head embalmed. Mm -hmm. It was slightly less usual to then carry it around and sort of introduce people to it. Mm -hmm. But she was a great campaigner to try and uh, restore his memory. Uh, And she did go around with a head in a bag introducing people to my husband, Walter. And it worked, sure enough. His uh, uh, memory was uh, largely restored by her sterling efforts. Mm -hmm. So his head followed him to his grave uh, a good 50 years after his body. <laughs> she must have been an unusual character meet if she was carrying her husband's uh, head around in a bag. Well, except what's in the bag? <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> I wish I hadn't asked. Right, number five. What did Anthony van Diemen discover? Well, I mean, the Dutch sources claim he discovered Ceylon, which came as news to the people who'd been living on Ceylon for 125,000 years beforehand. Yes. But uh, it was really a trick question, because, of course, what he didn't discover was Van Diemen's Land, Mm. which was discovered by uh, Abel Tasman. But Mm. because of the later appalling record of the penal colonies on Van Diemen's Land, they changed the name to Tasmania, because uh, after independence, nobody really wanted to remember it. Mm -hmm. So the answer there was, rather surprisingly, Ceylon. Ceylon. And finally, how long did that gunfight at the OK Corral last? Uh, Much less time than you'd think, really. It took just, see, 30 seconds. Right. Between 20 and 30 shots were fired from a range of about 10 feet, and three members of the Clanton gang ended up in Boot Hill. Right. So, uh, quite a short fight then, really. Absolutely, Amazing yeah. Amazing they managed to make so many films <laughs> it's, 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 it's a long movie, considering <laughs> how short the main action is. <laughs> right, we're just about to step into round three, but let's take another, another cracker, cracker, shall we? Let's see what we've got here. here Are you ready go. to pull? Ready. Go on. Oh, oh, that's a disappointing bang. Bang! That's better. There we go. Right, what have we got? What have we got? Oh, some sort of jigsaw. I'm not sure so, yeah. we've got time to do that just yet. And something to do after the turkey sandwiches. I think so. Right, now then. Why don't ducks tell jokes when they're flying? This is very good. (laughs) I can tell. Why don't ducks tell jokes when they're flying? It's something to do with being quackers, is it? It's close. It's because they would quack up. Ah! (laughs) Well, there we are. Marvellous, marvellous. Let's move on. (laughs) Round three. Justice. So, come on. Let's hear the questions. Here we go. Question one. What type of person was traditionally buried in England with a stake through their heart? Was it A, a vampire, B, a heretic, or C, a suicide? Okay. Question two. What did highwayman James Hind give to his victims? Was it A, a bloody nose, B, a refund, or C, a red handkerchief? Okay. And on to question three. What could you buy with a Tyburn ticket? Was it A, front row seats at a hanging, B, the right to set up a stall at Tyburn, or C, exemption from parish duties? Number four. In what century was the last prosecution in the UK under the Witchcraft Act? Was it A, the 16th century, B, the 18th century, or C, the 20th century. And on to question five. Which 20th century British king was technically murdered? Was it A, George V, B, Edward VII, or C, George VI? And the last one in this round, question six. 
What was the extraordinary question? Was it A. The riddle of the Theban Sphinx solved by Oedipus B. A form of torture or C. A Cambridge examination Okay, so justice Right, if you've, uh, if you've scribbled down your answers uh, we're just about to find out what the answers are So the first question Number one What type of person was traditionally buried in England with a stake through their heart? Now, B-movie films would have vampire down as the answer for this, I'm sure Absolutely, But uh, it is actually suicides as well as being buried at, often at crossroads and usually covered in quicklime Right up until the 19th century, the last case of suicide in London being uh, buried at a crossroads and having a stake driven through their heart, supposedly to ensure their restless spirit didn't wander. Right, okay. Uh, Fair enough. That's that's Suicides, then, is is Mm -hmm. the answer to that one. Number two, highwayman James Hind. What did he give to his victims? Are we going to get evidence of the gentleman highwayman here? Ah, exactly, exactly, yes. The English Gusman, as he was known. The answer is B... A refund. Uh, Hind was operating mainly during the Civil War and was a great royalist. Mm -hmm. And so when he stopped anyone, he'd immediately ask them if they were for the king. And if they said yes, he'd say, on your way, sir. If they said no, he would rob them, in all fairness. They'd always make sure he gave enough money back so they could continue their journey to its conclusion. What a polite and pleasant felon he must have been. Lovely man. We hanged him. (laughs) Okay, and on to hangings. What could you buy with a a Tyburn ticket? This is C, exemption from parish duties. Ah, not hangings at all, then? No, it was a, uh, a system brought in by William III to encourage have-a-go heroes. If you managed to catch a villain who was later successfully tried and executed, then you received a Tyburn ticket, which gave you exemption from parish duties and also was a financial bill in itself, so you could sell it through into the 19th century. You have, uh, in the London newspapers, sales of Tyburn tickets to get yourself off local taxes, really. So have a go and get off your taxes. Is this a policy that the government are thinking of bringing back? Almost certainly. (laughs) Okay, number four. What century was the last prosecution in the UK under the Witchcraft Act? This is very surprisingly. Well, I think it's very surprisingly. uh, It's C, the 20th century. Yes, well, that is surprising. The last prosecution under the 1735 Witchcraft Act was in 1944. The spiritualist medium Helen Duncan was convicted, not actually for being a witch, Mm. but for practising apparent magic, which was fake. She was basically uh, convicted of of fakery because the government were worried that she was uh, undermining morale by arranging seances with dead soldiers. Blimey, blimey. And and was she? Was she arranging seances with dead soldiers? Well, she was, in all honesty. So. Oh, okay, poor old Helen Duncan. And she spent eight months in prison, did she? She certainly did, yeah. yeah. Okay. Did, did she mend her ways afterwards? Uh, no, certainly not. She was a great believer in her spiritualist powers and, right. uh, and continued. Okay. Okay, so that was C, 20th century. Number five, uh, which 20th century British king was technically murdered? This is C, George V. He was obviously attending to the king who was dying, but he considered it would probably be better if the death announcement appeared in the morning papers rather than the evening news sheets, which he rather looked down his nose on. Mm. So during the evening, well, just after he'd had dinner, he wrote on the back of his menu card, uh, the king's life is drawing peacefully to its end, just so they had something to put out on the gates of the palace, Mm. went upstairs and, as was only found out in the 1980s from some of his private letters, administered various opiates to the king until he did slip peacefully from this life. Right. So he was on his deathbed, but he was technically murdered. Quite And bizarre. strangely enough, Lord Dawson, uh, shortly after that, voted against a euthanasia bill in the House of Lords. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. 
Finally, number, number six. What was the extraordinary question? Oh, this is a really grim one, actually. The answer is B. It's a form of torture. Oh, right. There were two types of question. In the ordinary question, they put a clip on your nose, a funnel in your mouth, and pour six pints of water and or urine down your throat. The idea being you believe yourself to be drowning, but so you can breathe, you have to swallow vast quantities of water. They then punch you until you throw it up and start again. That's the ordinary question. Mm -hmm. The extraordinary question, they use twice as much water. And uh, I think the last case we have of this being officially done is in the uh, Filipino-American wars, the end of the 19th century, very early 20th century. Right. Well, that, that is magnificently unpleasant. Which is fabulously yeah. unpleasant, yeah. What, what a sour note to end that third round on. But well, anyway, we're going to cheer ourselves up with a cracker. a cracker. What we need is a joke. That's yes, a- <laughs> we do. Oh, hey. right I think it's your turn to read the joke. So, uh, let's see oh, what we've dear. got. Let's oh. see what we've got here. Oh, oh, there's a little tape measure. That's that very, be handy. very handy. Yeah. There's and the game. here we go. Okay. Here we go. Who is the most famous married woman in America? I'm not sure this is going to be very funny, is it? It's not the best joke, in all honesty. Let me hear the answer. <laughs> it is Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That's disappointing, yeah, isn't it? No, it's not great, is it? It's not going to have a long life, that joke. <laughs> anyway, things can only improve as we step on to round four, Men of the Cloth. So let's have these next six questions. Okay, question one. Who did Edward Gibbon accuse of piracy, murder, rape, sodomy and incest? Was it A... Pope John the Twenty Third, B Caligula, or C Joan of Arc. Whoever it was, I imagine they'd have been pretty annoyed about it. What about question two? Okay. The pretext for the Crimean War was an argument over was it A a key, B a donkey, or C the date of Easter. And question three: When did the Pope officially become infallible? Was it A? 459 AD B 1588 or C 1870 and question 4 what did Charles Beresford MP say when he jumped into bed with the Bishop of Chester was it A pardon me your grace B cockadoodle do or C you have beautiful eyes <laughs> I think any of those answers are going to be interesting could all be right couldn't they <laughs> question 5 Which group did the British emancipate in 1829? Was it A, 10-shilling landowners, B, women, or C, Catholics? And finally, to end on another gruesome-sounding note, question six, what was the cadaver synod? Was it A, the trial of a dead pope, B, a Vatican inquiry into the existence of purgatory, or C, a convocation of cardinals at which no food was served for five days. Right, okay, so that draws to a conclusion our round on Men of the Cloth. I'll give you a moment to scribble down your answers once more, and then we will step in and find out what actually happened. So, question one. Who did that famous historian Edward Gibbon accuse of all these terrible crimes? Piracy, murder, rape, sodomy and incest. Well, this was going on during the Great Schism in the early 15th century, and he accused Pope John the Twenty Third, or rather, as we now know him, Anti-Pope 
John the Twenty Third. Quite there being a, a real Pope John the Twenty Third as well. Mm-hmm. Although bizarrely enough, there isn't a Pope John the Twentieth due to a clerical ever. There's never been one. <laughs> oh, really? So there's an option there. <laughs> Someone yeah, who wants okay. to take it. Yeah. But I uh, know John the Twenty Third was a, a, a bit of a rough old character. When he'd been younger, he'd run a protection racket at Bologna University. Mm. He'd done a spell as a pirate, and then decided that perhaps the Holy See beckoned. Uh, which it did very briefly, but uh, after a while he was forced to run away. <laughs> there we are. So that's that's Pope John the Twenty Third, swiftly dealt with. Um, number two, the pretext for the Crimean War. Um, what, what was that? What, what, what happened? What was that? Uh, this was uh, uh, extraordinarily enough. Uh, it was an argument over who should own a golden key. Right. Uh, it was an important key. It was the uh, key to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And the argument is over whether or not it should be owned by the Roman Catholic monks in the town or the Orthodox monks in the town. The argument actually being, of course, who protects Christians in the Ottoman Empire? Is it a Russian thing or is it a European thing? And basically the French and the Russians got more and more heated over this key and who should have it, and it ended up in the Crimean War. Right. Enough to start a war. Absolutely. um, That's quite a serious key. Um, number three, when did the Pope officially become infallible? Now, this is surprisingly late, actually. Mm-hmm. Whilst, you know, Popes have, have generally had, had sort of uh, the, the ear of God, mm-hmm. it was only in 1870 when they actually officially decided at uh, the First Vatican Council that the Pope was infallible. But mm-hmm. only he's only infallible some of the time. Right. He can't win at Scrabble by being infallible. <laughs> he's only infallible when he sits, uh, actually gives a, a statement ex cathedra from his chair in his official capacity. Right. And he has to say which bit of what he's saying is infallible. And if he doesn't say it's infallible, then it's not. Right. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's only since 1870 anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, fair enough. Okay, number four. What did the MP Charles Beresford say when he jumped into bed with a Bishop of Chester? Well, it was B, cock-a-doodle-doo. Right. He didn't actually realise, of course, at the time he was jumping into bed with the Bishop of Chester and his wife. He thought he was jumping into uh, the bed of his lover, the Countess of Warwick, mm-hmm. Lady Brooke, who was known as the Babbling Brooke because she wasn't terribly discreet. Right. They were at a house party. He crept into what he thought was her room, leapt into bed, shouting cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> there was a scrabbling around, a candle was lit, and he found himself sitting between <laughs> the Bishop of Chester and his wife <laughs> with some considerable <laughs> explaining to do. Does, does history record the words of the Bishop of Chester? <laughs> no, sadly not, actually. We get as far as cock-a-doodle-doo after which a veil is drawn over events. <laughs> <laughs> right, number five. Which group did the British emancipate in 1829? It's C, the Catholics, Catholic right. Emancipation Act, which, uh, again, is really surprisingly late. And even after that, the act requiring the compulsory celebration of Bonfire Night was on the uh, on November the 5th, of course, remained on the statute books until 1859. Right, okay. So it's compulsory to celebrate Guy Fawkes Night until 1859. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, and the last one. Are we going to get gory again? What's What was going on with this synod? Ah, yeah, the Cadaver Synod was, A, the trial of a dead pope. The pope in question was uh, Pope Formosus, who uh, had died and been replaced by Pope Stephen VI, who, frankly, they hadn't really got on. And he had the body dug up, dressed in its papal robes, propped back up on a throne, and uh, he brought charges against the body. Uh, He acted as prosecutor, and someone obviously was appointed to speak for Formosus because he was dead. Mm. They found him guilty, not surprisingly. They tore off the three fingers of his right hand with which he'd given the benediction and buried him, and dug him up again, and threw him in the Tiber. Right. Which is quite vindictive, really, bearing in mind the man was already dead. <laughs> it does seem to be going a bit far, doesn't it? It does, really. Yeah. At the end of the day, people didn't really take to it as <laughs> an idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, that's the end of round four. Let's have one more of these fabulous jokes. Here we go. Oh, again. Oh. 
There oh, we are. There we Fantastic. Are. Oh, a bouncing ball. Not hugely seasonal. <laughs> Let's have a look at the gag. Okay. I think you're going to get this. What must you know to be an auctioneer? What must you know to be an auctioneer? Don't know. The answer, tragically, is lots. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I see what they've done there. That's clever, isn't it? My <laughs> word. My word. Okay, so on with the quiz then after that excellent gag. It's round five, a bit of politics. Okay, question one. What did the 1832 Reform Act reform? Was it A, rotten boroughs, B, the police force, or C, the monarchy? Okay, question two. Question two. Who was crowned in the Hall of Mirrors at Versailles? Was it A, Louis XVI, B, Wilhelm I, or C, Napoleon III? Question three. Which world leader drew the poster for Teddy's perspiration powder? Was it A, Theodore Roosevelt, B, Winston Churchill, or C, Adolf Hitler? I'm embarrassed to admit I've never heard of Teddy's perspiration powder. So well, it can't have been a very good poster, because let's face it, it hasn't caught on, has it? It has not, no. <laughs> Question four. Question four. Who was deposed in the November Revolution of 1918? Was it A, Kaiser Wilhelm II, B, Tsar Nicholas, or C, David Lloyd George? Right. And question five. Which US city is named after Dismal Jimmy? Is it A, Stewartsville, B, Pittsburgh, or C, New York? And the last one this round... How did the French Minister of the Interior escape from the Siege of Paris? Was it A, in a hot air balloon, B, by bribery, or C, by disguising himself as an ocelot? Right, OK. Uh, we'll get back to that ocelot uh, in a minute. <laughs> oh, yes. But first of all, will you have a brief moment to scribble down your answers? And uh, now I'm going to ask Justin to tell us what the true stories are. So, number one. What did the 1832 Reform Act actually reform? This was A, the rotten boroughs. Before that date, there were 56 rotten boroughs, which each returned two MPs, many of whom had no inhabitants actually living in them at all, Mm -hmm. or only a handful. Whereas, of course, the new big cities like Manchester and Birmingham had no MPs at all. So it was a thoroughly iniquitous system, and the 1832 Act abolished all 56 rotten boroughs and reduced the uh, number of MPs sent by a number of very small villages as well. Hmm. No, that seems fair enough, doesn't it? Absolutely. Okay, number two. Who was crowned in the Hall of Mirrors at Versailles? We've got some French-sounding people and some Germanic-sounding people. Which which one was it? It's B. It's Wilhelm I was crowned Emperor of Germany on the 18th of January 1871 which marks the uh, the end of the North German Confederation and beginning of the German Empire, which is uh, also known as the Second Reich. Okay, fair enough. Surprising. Number three, this perspiration powder that neither of us have heard of, Teddy's uh, perspiration yes. powder. Teddy's perspiration powder was a poster drawn before the First World War by Adolf Hitler. Mm, not Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, no, nope, when he was down and out in Vienna and trying to uh, scratch together a living, he, uh, having failed to get into the academy, 
twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took to painting posters for local businesses. He did a very bad one of a huge pile of soap cakes with uh, uh, St. Stephen's Cathedral sticking out the top of it. Right. Uh, and his great, his famous one, of course, Teddy's Perspiration Powder and, and My How That Worked. We all use it today. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you seen that poster? Is it good? It's not a great poster. Uh, none of them, are, to be honest, they're not great posters. <laughs> I can see what the Academy were thinking when they declined his application. <laughs> right. OK, number four. Who was deposed in the November Revolution of 1918? Now, the answer's not quite what you might expect it. Uh, no, it's A, it's Kaiser Wilhelm II. You tend to, well, I always tend to think of the First World War sort of ending with, uh, you know, a military armistice and everyone going home. But uh, there was a revolution in, in Germany in November of 1918, which started off in the Navy and rapidly spread through a very disenchanted Germany, and uh, the Kaiser was forced to abdicate and, and leave the country. Right. So that actually marked the end of the First World War. Okay. Uh, number five, which US city is named after Dismal Jimmy? Uh, oh, this is C, New York. New York is named after the uh, Duke of York, James, who was Charles II's brother, who was not as much fun as uh, Charles II, at least not according to Nell Gwynne, mm-hmm. who always referred to him as Dismal Jimmy. <laughs> right. He was, however, Admiral at the time that New Amsterdam was taken by the British, and so they named the town, the state, New York, after his title, and, of course, the capital of the state, Albany, is after his other title, because he was Duke of Albany as well. Right. So okay. the whole place is named after Dismal Jimmy. Yeah. Well, a, fair enough. A, a dour-sounding chap, indeed. OK, f- number six, then, finally. Uh, how did the French Ministry of the Interior escape the siege of Paris? It, please, it, it was the ocelot, wasn't it? Yes, sadly, sadly. No, it's a lovely thought, a French minister disguised as an ocelot. I can see it. But I uh, know it's one of the slowest getaways in history. He escaped uh, in October 1870 by hot air balloon. In fact, there were about 60 successful escapes from the Siege of Paris by hot air balloon. Oh, really? So the problem was they had run out of materials in the end to build them from, because, of course, they were very much one-way trips. Mm. Nobody ever then came back. No, of course. So they were short of ballooning material by the end of the siege. <laughs> right. And presumably uh, th- it was quite obvious when someone was escaping. Yes, but, of course, there's not a lot. Provided they got up enough height over the uh, Prussian troops, there's not a lot they could do. They just Occasionally they would drop calling cards on them, apparently, as they'd floated overhead. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that must have been quite aggravating. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it'd annoy you, wouldn't it? <laughs> right, so that brings to an end round five. Time. Time for another Christmas cracker. Let's hope we get a snap on this one. Oh, again. Oh, Oh, there there we we are. Right. uh, Let's see what the gag is. See how many hats I can put on. Is that a a shoehorn? I think it's a a delightful light blue shoehorn. How about that? Here we go. Here's the gag. What do you get if you cross a skeleton and a detective? Hmm. Uh... The bones of justice? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but, you know, to be honest, the answer doesn't make a great deal more sense. The answer is Sherlock Bones. Uh, Sherlock uh, Bones. Bones, yeah. Holmes. Yeah, They're very clever play on words. Oh, yeah, it is, yeah. isn't Wish it? I had followed that one. <laughs> Shall I tell you, there might be a future in making jokes for Christmas yeah, crackers. I think, that, I think they need some new writers. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Round six. I say, uh, what are the six questions we've got here? Here we go. Question one. Who is the Bob in the phrase, Bob's your uncle? Is it A, Robert Cecil, B, Robert the Bruce, or C, Robert Bob Hoskins? Okay. Number two. Number two. Who did Stalin describe as a syphilitic whore? Was it A, Lenin's wife, B, Clementine Churchill, or C, his own mother? Okay. Number three. Number three. 
What did one American newspaper describe as slipshod, loose-jointed, and puerile? Was it A, the Gettysburg Address, B, the U.S. Constitution, or C, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech? Yeah, sounds like quite a rude newspaper, whichever one it was. Yeah, new reviewers needed all round, I think. Absolutely. Number four, then. Number four. To explain her clumsiness, Alexandra of Bavaria told her doctors that she had swallowed A, a pin, B, a poison, or C, a piano. I can see a ludicrous answer coming up. <laughs> Number five. Number five. Why did Lady Godiva take her clothes off? Right. Was it because she was ordered to? Was it for a bet? Or was it for the hell of it? Okay, and finally, this round. And finally, question six. Who was known unkindly as Lulac the Idiot? Was it A, Henry II's court jester, B, a king of Scotland, or C, the star witness in the trial of the Duke of Monmouth? Right, okay, so... I hope you've scribbled down your answers for those because we're about to find the answers. So, question number one. Who was the Bob in the phrase Bob's your uncle? It's A. It's Robert Cecil, third Marquess of Salisbury, when Prime Minister, who uh, promoted his uh, nephew, Arthur Balfour, to be Irish Secretary in 1887 and then proceeded to uh, promote, frankly, nearly all the members of his family to various jobs of high office. Uh, hence the phrase in the newspapers of Bob's your uncle, which originally just meant uh, it was a term for nepotism, really. Now it is it's a nasty case of nepotism, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, number two. Who did Stalin describe as a syphilitic whore? Yeah, it's another nasty case, really, there, mm. wasn't it? Mm. Uh, it was A, it was Lenin's wife. The comment was made during a phone conversation between the two men that, uh, well, as you might imagine, uh, it really marked sort of the final break between the two of them. It, yeah, uh, yeah. It's not a nice thing, really, to say about, uh, about anyone's wife. It's, it's the sort of thing that would upset you, isn't it? It is, really. So at least he didn't say it to his mother. God knows what she would have done. <laughs> and we, presumably we don't know Lenin's response to this? No, no. no. Angry, I imagine. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe I, silence. I, I think, yeah, I think shortly after he put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three. What did this rather rude American newspaper describe as slipshod, loose-jointed and puerile? This is A, the Gettysburg Address. It was the Chicago Times commenting on the 272-word uh, speech that was given on the 19th of November 1863 by Abraham Lincoln at the uh, opening of a cemetery in Gettysburg, Mm. which is often considered to be sort of one of the great statements of freedom and democracy in the world, but the reviewer for the Chicago Times decided it was slipshod and puerile Mm. instead. He must have been having a particularly bad day, wasn't (laughs) he? It was an opinion that was later revised, shall we say. (laughs) Right, now then, what did the clumsy Alexander of Bavaria suggest that she had swallowed? Uh, Poor old Alexandra Amelie, it was uh, C. She told her doctors that she believed as a child... She'd had an accident in which she'd swallowed a grand piano, mm. and this explained her unusual gait and her difficulty negotiating her way around objects because she had a very, very large piece of furniture inside her. It does seem unlikely. How many people believed her on that one? Uh, it wasn't many. Yeah. It wasn't a show of hands as far as I know. It's interesting that she became the only member of her family then not to be married off into other European royal houses. <laughs> really? They decided perhaps that uh, young <laughs> Alexandra and her piano should perhaps retire. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably fair enough. Okay, number five. Lady Godiva, why did she take her clothes off? Uh, oh, the answer is B, for a bet. According to the earliest version of the tale, and of course there's no contemporary account that says she ever did take her clothes off, but mm-hmm. according to the earliest version of the tale, 
she'd been asking her husband, the Earl Leofric, to uh, reduce taxes on the people of Coventry. Mm. And she asked and asked and asked, and he eventually got a bit bored and said, oh, all right, I'll reduce the taxes if you ride through the town with no clothes on. Mm. At which point she uh, removed a pin from her hair. Mm-hmm. Her hair tumbled down to her feet. Obviously, her husband hadn't noticed she'd been growing it, mm-hmm. completely covering her modesty. Right. She then hopped on a horse and off she went. Right. <laughs> well, t- I think that, that, that would have showed Earl Leofric, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, the the last one then, number six. Who was known unkindly as Lulac the Idiot? Uh, This is B. He was a king of Scotland. He was the stepson of Macbeth and actually uh, succeeded to the Scottish throne Mm -hmm. after Macbeth had been murdered by uh, Malcolm Canmore. Mm -hmm. He didn't last very long on the throne, actually, because Malcolm Canmore uh, very quickly killed him and took over himself. Mm. But it was a short and uh, ignominious reign, and he's gone down in history as uh, sometimes Lulac the Fool, but uh, more usually as Lulac the Idiot. And was he indeed an idiot? He didn't manage to outthink Malcolm Canmore, but in that way, he didn't no. seem creeping up behind him. No. <laughs> so. Okay, well, that does show uh, something of a lack of intelligence, I suppose. Okay, now we're just about to step on to the very last round, but before we do, let's have the last cracker. Let's make it a good one. Oh, oh there we brilliant. go. Look, even very pop. Good. What have we got? Some sort of metal device for hanging. That should be handy. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay. How do snails keep their shells shiny? How do snails keep their shells shiny? i say this is a, a very low-quality joke. Excellent. Yeah. Ammunition for next year's quiz, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. How do they keep their shells shiny? Well, let me tell you. They use snail varnish. Snail varnish! Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another excellent play on words. Oh, marvellous. How did they think I of think that? We ought to thank the makers of those crackers. That, yes, that was really excellent. excellent. Very lovely, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> anyway, well, so on that note, we're, we're going to move on to the last round, which is, appropriately enough, the Christmas round. So to get everyone right in the festive spirit. So, Quizmaster, let's have those last six festive-themed questions. Okay, here we go. Ho, ho, ho. Question one. Who died on Christmas Day, was buried, escaped and was finally laid to rest in a steel vault under six foot of concrete. Was it A, Houdini, B, Charlie Chaplin, or C, Vlad Dracul? Okay. Question two. How many wise men came to see the infant Jesus? Was it A, three, B, none, or C, don't know? Right, okay, well... I suppose I don't know answer I think we've had in here for a while. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Question three. 
Where was the infant Jesus when the wise men arrived? Was he A, in a stable, B, in a meeting, or C, in a house? Okay, number four. And question four. Which of the following can't you legally do in the UK on Christmas Day? Is it A, drink mead, B, do your job, or C, do someone else's job? Question five. What happened to good King Wenceslas? Was it A, he ran away and became a peasant, B, he was taken up to heaven after feasting the peasants of Bohemia, or C, he was murdered by his brother? And finally, the very end of the quiz, number six. Who are Dunder and Blixem? Were they A, the publishers of the first printed Christmas cards, B, two of Father Christmas's reindeer, or C, the star witness in the trial of the Duke of Monmouth? Right, so that's the that's the Christmas questions to finish mm. off. So I expect you're all chafing at the bit to find out the answers. Um, so what we'll do is the first question, uh, who died on Christmas Day, was buried, escaped, and was finally laid to rest in a steel vault under six foot of concrete? Who was it? Uh, this was a dear old Charlie Chaplin, died oh. on Christmas Day 1977 mm-hmm. uh, and was buried. Uh, as as you would, mm. but then was uh, secretly uh, kidnapped. He was dug up by uh, a Polish car mechanic and his accomplice, who mm. dug up the body, hid it, and then attempted to uh, ransom Charlie Chaplin's wife to get the body back. They didn't do uh, a very good job. They always used the same telephone, and whoever <laughs> the phone was tapped, right. they were caught. They said where the body was, but to ensure that he never went missing again, they decided to bury him in a steel vault under concrete, right. which is where he still is, as far as we know. Okay, well, a rather amateur effort by the mm-hmm. by the car mechanic, but uh, but there we go. Okay, so number two, how many wise men came to see the infant Jesus? Now, I'm, I'm sure I know the answer to this. Uh, well, the answer is C, don't know. Right. The Bible never actually says how many wise men or magi come to visit, but as there were three gifts... We always assume that there must have been three of them bringing one each, but right. nowhere does it actually say so we can't be there sure were three. No, nope. yeah. could there could have been fifty wise men, or two, yeah. or yeah. seven and a half. So, well, there we are. That ruins some of those nativity plays, though, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. I bet you could have more children involved. It'd be great, really. Brilliant. A few of them will have to be sheep. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with being a sheep. Uh, okay, where was the infant Jesus when those wise men arrived then? This again. It's uh, this is C. He was uh, in a house, right. according to Matthew two eleven. Yep. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. So it would appear that between uh, being born in the stable mm-hmm. and them arriving, they'd managed to sort of wheedle some sort of upgrade and actually managed to get into the inn after all. So perhaps oh. someone had left. Right. Okay. Oh, well, again, I'm ruining more. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's going to be very difficult from now on. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Okay. So on Christmas Day, what are you not actually legally allowed to do in the UK? Uh, well, theoretically, you're not legally allowed to do your job. To be honest, you'd be a bit of a Scrooge character if you wanted to be doing your job on Christmas Day. Mm. But there's a 1677 statute, which has yet to be repealed, that says uh, no servant or workman shall do any worldly labours of their ordinary calling on Christmas Day. Right. So if I happen to go down to the petrol station and someone is working on Christmas Day, I can wave the uh, statute at them? Well, you'd, think you'd have to call a policeman. Right. And the policeman would then be working on Christmas Day at his ordinary profession. Oh, that is so he'd have problems, to arrest himself before he got to the petrol station. <laughs> That's awkward, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. You can see why it's still on the statute books. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, number five. What happened to good King Wenceslas? Uh, this is C. He was murdered by his brother. Uh, poor old Wenceslas, who was, was a prince rather mm. than a king. 
was uh, murdered on his way to church by his pagan brother, who decided he rather liked the uh, throne of Bohemia instead. Right. Okay. So, uh, so that carol. Not much in it then, really. No, not really. Not really. It's all supposedly it reflects a, a fight between a, a, the um, Hungarian uh, state at the emer- period of the emergence of Christianity. So, um, so, but the actual peasant and all of the deep and crisp and even and no evidence for wasn't really. I'm afraid. No. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So we come to the very last question. So tell me, Justin, who are Dunder and Blixem? Uh, Dunder and Blixem are B two of Father Christmas's reindeer. In the original 1823 version of The Night Before Christmas, the last two deer are not called Donner and Blitzen, they're called Dunder and Blixen, which are the Dutch words for thunder and lightning. It was only later changed to Donner and Blitzen when Clement Clark Moore, who later claimed he'd written The Night Before Christmas, changed it to Donner and Blitzen because he spoke German. Interestingly, he didn't speak Dutch, though, so it does make it rather look like his claim to be the author of the original poem is a fake. <laughs> I see. A charlatan indeed, then. <laughs> Right, okay, well that is it. That's the end of the quiz. So um, I, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, hope you all did quite well. Some of those questions you probably didn't know the answers to, but that's the whole point of point of the quiz, was to introduce some of those moments from history that you might not have heard of. Now, uh, if you haven't had enough historical stimulation for one day, there is another quiz in the December issue of BBC History magazine. Uh, that's on sale in all good news agents in the UK, though obviously not on uh, Christmas Day, as nobody will be allowed to work, and in borders in the US. The mag goes on sale on the last Tuesday of the month for £3.60. Um, you can of course save money in a trip to the shops by subscribing uk podcast listeners can subscribe today for just 16 pounds 20 every six issues and you'll save 25 percent on the cover price for that you order online at www.subscribeonline.co.uk forward slash history magazine quoting pod 07 alternatively you can call our hotline on 0844844250 but again don't do that on christmas day now don't forget of course that the interesting bits the history you might have missed by our very own quizmaster justin pollard is on sale now that's published by john murray so all that remains for me to do is to say thanks for justin for setting the quiz no oh, thanks for having me along and thanks to you for listening and just let me finally say happy christmas i hope you're listening again uh, next month when our regular podcast returns and uh, now Justin and I are going to go and see about that eggnog oh fantastic